This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. I would like to begin today's Bible study by reading two paragraphs in one sentence from a Wikipedia article on deoxyribonucleic acid, otherwise known as DNA. DNA is a thread-like chain of nucleotides carrying the genetic instructions used in the growth, development, functioning, and reproduction of all known living organisms and many viruses. DNA stores biological information. The DNA backbone is resistance to cleavage, and both strands of the double-stranded structures store the same biological information. This information is replicated as and when the two strands separate. A large part of the DNA, more than 95% for humans, is non-coding, meaning that these sections do not serve as patterns for protein sequences. The two strands of DNA run in opposite directions to each other and are thus anti-parallel. Attached to each sugar is one of four types of nucleobases, informally called bases. It is the sequence of these four nucleobases along the backbone that encodes biological information. RNA strands are created using DNA strands as a template in a process called transcription. Under the genetic code, these RNA strands are translated to specify the sequence of amino acids within the proteins in a process called translation. Now, in that two paragraphs and one sentence, I count 17 words describing intelligence, design, and information. Words chosen by the authors of that Wikipedia article, who I assume have some scientific background because the article was filled with illustrations and a whole bunch of information that I have not gotten enough biological training to be able to really truly decipher nor appreciate, though it is impressive to me as to how much information is packed into our DNA code, which are the instructions for you and for me. And those messages, those words, so to speak, those codes in the DNA sequence determine whether I will be tall or short, my skin color, my eye color, many of my skills, and so on and so on. If something now, of course, happens in the development of my physical being, some of those things may be greatly altered or retarded in the sense that they will not be able to come to full fruition and will thus need various kinds of heroic medical interventions to stave off an early grave. But it bespeaks of a supreme intelligence that built that design and that amazing information sharing, information delivery system into every living organism from human beings all the way down to viruses. And then to look at that evidence and to say that all of this just happened to me is incredulous in the extreme. How can anybody who thinks think that? That, quite frankly, is incoherent. Quite frankly, that is irrational. 
not only is it irrational, it's wicked. It's, to me, borders on blasphemy. It is saying that stuff just happens, really complicated, amazing stuff just happens, when we do not tolerate that kind of an attitude in any other realm of human endeavor. Where you see a message, you automatically assume a messenger. By the way, when I read that article, I, first of all, said to myself, I wonder who collected this information and who wrote this article? Because I know beyond all shadow of doubt, having spent my life in a world of words, that words do not appear in any printed medium or any spoken medium without a speaker or a writer. They just don't happen. And having written a bit myself, and I'm certainly not any proficient professional at it, I know that it is a lot of hard work and none of it happens by just happenstance. It doesn't, words just don't appear on the page. And in the process of writing that article, the author, who is obviously a scientifically trained individual, uses words that we use in ordinary English language to describe intelligent mind communicating through written, encoded messaging. And that only happens at the human level or higher. Animals don't do that. And blind matter doesn't do that. But yet this incredible encoding in living creatures is uniform wherever we find it, which means somebody did it. Somebody with an incredible intelligence did it. Somebody wrote all of those codes. And the Bible names that somebody. His name is God. The Bible also goes on to say that in that very book where we read this information, which is a compilation of 66 books of material written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, that those words are transmitted to us via human agency by the author who is God himself. In other words, it's revelation. God has spoken to us. Now, I'm entitling this particular message Spiritual DNA deliberately because just like our DNA contains the code that is essential to us being us, which is transmitted to us by our parents, my father had contributed something, my mother contributed something, and out of it came an individual who looks like the two of them kind of combined, and I share traits with both of my parents, and it is interesting to me because I know a few generations back in both of their family trees to know that where some of my attributes come from, because I have ancestors who pass those on to them, and thus that part of their genetic code is imbued and embedded in my genetic code. The same thing is true of our two children moving forward with their children, which are now our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, respectively. So, information is the life basis of all life of any kind that we know. Information is. It has led in just the last few decades to a rise inside of science called 
the argument from design. It's really not a new argument. It's been around for quite some time, several hundreds of years, but it has been revived, refreshed, and given new scientific legs just in the last few decades. Now, in the Bible, we are given a spiritual DNA program, a set of informational thoughts that will determine our spiritual existence according to the revealed scriptures. In Romans chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, we read these words written by the Apostle Paul. For my part, I am eager to preach, that is to proclaim words, to proclaim ideas, to proclaim truth to you. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is his intent. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, that is this pile of words, this package of words called the gospel, that for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, everyone who is convinced that this gospel, this pile of information, these set of concepts, everyone who is convinced that those are true to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God to transform our lives spiritually, to move us from spiritual death to spiritual life. In other words, we're talking about changing our destiny from a place called hell to a place called heaven, and also to change the quality of our human life while we are here on earth after believing this gospel. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, what is a righteous man? A righteous man is a man who is right with God. And in the Old Testament and in the New Testament alike, being right with God or righteousness comes as an imputed quality that God gives a man on the basis of, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, faith. Now, faith in the Greek language is the Greek word pistuo. Believe in the Greek language is the Greek word pistuo. So, that concept is translated either by the English word believe or by the English word faith, depending upon the way the translator feels like it should be used in a particular clause. All right, we now have a description of this spiritual DNA. It is all bound up, just like your DNA helix and your genetic code has all the information that it takes to make you, you, then that gospel has all the information that it takes to make us spiritually alive, to make us right with God, so to speak. Now, the word gospel means good news. Okay, so again, obviously, news is information about things that really happened. We watch a news program, we know, or at least we hope we know, that we're not watching a scripted fiction program. We're not watching a comedy. We're not watching a police detective show. We're hearing about things that actually happened, things that happened in culture, things that happened in the political world, things that happened in nature, things that have happened in all of those different spheres of human activity in the world in which we live. We 
are receiving news. It means it's something that's fresh. It's something that we didn't know before. Hence, it's called new or news, not old. And, of course, we even have a term called old news, which is sort of a, an oxymoron. But nevertheless, he said this gospel, this good news, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes it, everyone who is convinced that it's true. For in it, that is in this good news, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, being convinced that it's true to being even more convinced that it is true. As it is written, Paul here quotes the Old Testament. We're going to look at the verse that he quotes in just a minute. But the righteous man, the man who's been put right with God, shall live by faith or by believing or by being convinced that something is true. Now, we're going to get to the content of the gospel in just a little bit. But before we do, I want us to look at the passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul quoted as the Word of God. It comes from a small book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a post-exilic prophet. He prophesied after the Jews had gone into exile and, had, and some of them had come back under the decree of Cyrus to resettle the land that they had been driven out of by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And now many of them had come back to resettle that part of the world for about a, a couple of thousand years. It's known as Palestine. It was the Canaanite territory, was the, the territory of the nation of Israel and Judah for a nearly a thousand year period. But that particular place today that is occupied by Israel and the West Bank and all of that stuff today, the Gaza Strip, all of that area. So these settlers had come back and Habakkuk was sent by God to prophesy them, to encourage that generation to believe in him. And in the process of that, Habakkuk is given some prophecies that came to pass rather soon. And God always did this with Old Testament prophets because they had to be able to verify to their current listeners that they were indeed receiving messages from God. They weren't just making stuff up because there were false prophets who came around and said stuff, and led people astray. And God warned them in Moses' speech in Deuteronomy not to believe those guys. And he gave them a litmus test. He said, if a guy says he's from me and he makes a prophecy and it doesn't come to pass exactly the way he said, then you know he's not a prophet. In fact, a guy that did that was supposed to be taken out and executed. Well, that you know makes a pretty it makes it pretty serious. So the authentication of every Old Testament prophet was that they gave some short term prophecy, which would come to pass within a few months or a few years at most to verify that they were indeed telling the truth from God. Thus, things that were further down the road would be believed as also being from God. Habakkuk's book contains that kind of information. The passage that Paul is quoting here, though, is quoting from a section in which he is dealing with future events, things that have not yet even happened in our time. But because the things that God told him to tell about former events, many of whom have come to pass, we can rest assured that these events will also come to pass in God's own timing. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, we read this, For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It's yet down the road. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. 
though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. All these things that God told Habakkuk to tell to his generation and by extension tell to us will certainly come to pass in God's time. Behold, as for the proud one, the person who rejects Habakkuk's message, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. In other words, the righteous man will live by believing these promises of God. He will be convinced that they are true. The righteous shall live by his faith. And that's why Paul quotes this Old Testament prophet. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man. You know, drunkenness will make a fool out of you so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol. He is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Now, I'm not going to discuss the personage that he is dealing with there. But nevertheless, the thing that Paul lifts out of that passage is this timeless truth that righteous people from the beginning of time until now have always been made right with God by believing what God said. Now, the gospel is such a package of information about something that has really happened in time-space history. So what is it? Well, in the New Testament, we are given an exhaustive amount of information about what this good news is. It is information about the amazing life, death, and resurrection of one Jesus of Nazareth. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, John, who wrote an entire gospel on it in which he uses the word believe 81 times, he uses the word which carries the meaning things that we are convinced that are true. He uses that term believe 81 times. So this is the gospel of the believing. All right. It is an evangelistic book, an evangelistic tract, so to speak. And in his summary in chapter 20, John explains again why he wrote his gospel account, why he was led by the Holy Spirit to put into writing the things that he had seen and experienced as a follower of Jesus. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples. John says, I'm just giving you a small amount of the things that Jesus did and the things that said, which are not written in this book. He said in an earlier verse, if we wrote down everything Jesus said and did, the universe could not contain the book because the three years we walked with him were the most amazing three years we had ever experienced. It was truly, truly massively wonderful. But these, the things I've written down, John said in these 20 chapters, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There we have the gospel in the capsule. These have been written so that you may be convinced that it's true that Jesus, uh, the man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one prophesied in the Old Testament, going all the way back to even the very beginning of God's dealings with man. He is not only the Messiah, which means he is a human being, but he is the Son of God. He is God incarnate through the miracle of 
the virgin birth, virgin conception. And that believing or being convinced that this is true, you may have life in his name. We are put right with God by believing the biblical account about Jesus. Now, this is what Paul meant when he said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is the DNA of eternal life. And just like when you were conceived in your mother's womb, that you had a package of information that created you. When you believe the truth of the gospel, the good news, a new package of information is turned loose in your spirit, which will transform you even more dramatically than the physical DNA which made you, you. And behind it all is the same creator, God. God loves you and he wants you to have eternal life. My prayer is, is that you have believed and received this great gift. May God bless you.